Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. The 2022 midterm elections are over, and new lawmakers have taken their place in the Senate, Congress, and statewide legislatures across the country. So what's next in this new year? How do we continue our work to build a more perfect union where all are valued and respected? How do we build and strengthen communities and have the needed conversations to lift one another up or not tear each other down? Who should be sitting at the table bringing bright new ideals? We begin this ongoing conversation with Mike Whitty as Collections by Michelle Brown begins its sixth year on the air. Well, welcome to a new year of Collections by Michelle Brown. With me today, again, is Professor Mike Whitty. He's a futurist and researcher on trends in politics, culture, and rebuilding community. Mike has given seminars on the future of Detroit, human unity, unity and diversity, tolerance and civility, and most importantly, thankfulness and gratitude for all our blessings. A great way to begin the year. Mike, how are you today? I'm happy. And one of my blessings is meeting you and being on this show with you. Well, I feel the same way. You know, I have, this is really the beginning of my sixth year. And when I started this year, this show five years ago, I started with someone um, who brought a lot of the same things that you are bringing to the show. And so it's like coming home, coming full circle. So I'm so happy to to have you. You know, we've talked before, and I'm particularly right after the 2022 um, elections. And, you know, one of the things that I would say, if you looked back on it with the wins and loses, um, particularly there are a lot of, like, deniers and haters who ran for office and didn't get elected, you know, there's some, been some change, but basically, love trumps hate. Love trumps Trump. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, looking back at it, did you see that also? Well, it certainly was a, a great victory in Michigan, uh, and uh, we were we were um, a standard bearer for what the rest of the country. Um, should try to do in 2024, and especially in the swing states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, let alone Georgia and Arizona and Nevada and maybe North Carolina, there's seven or nine states that are so-called swing states, and those are the ones that need to uh, beef up and get started early in the new year, uh, and we sure showed the way, and we showed it could be done, uh, in a state that, uh, under certain circumstances, is thought of as a swing state. You know, Debbie Dingle said that, uh, um, I mean, I was listening to her hearing, and she said, you know, like, so many people put emphasis on East Coast, West Coast, but she cited not only her home state, Michigan, but some parts of the Midwest. And what we yes. did, she said, maybe just, instead of just flying over and hoping that, that they need to focus on particularly what we did here in Michigan. Right, and that that the bulk of the public um, 
are reasonable. And the, the bulk of the public, um, now half the public doesn't vote. So nonetheless, people want to get on with their lives, uh, heal themselves and be happy and enjoy their, their, their families uh, and be largely left alone and help when they need help. Uh, so we do have common ground. Uh, maybe we need a coalition of uh, progressives, liberals, and moderates. If we could have unity there, uh, we might be able to undo some of the uh, stress and harms of, of the Trump era. You know, I hope. You, I know, because, I mean, it was nice to see that so many um, of these extreme people who got his endorsement, did not get elected all over. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you look at, you know, in Georgia, I mean, Herschel Walker was went into a runoff. How do we overcome this extremism of the GOP? And, you know, and, it, and I would say the Trump GOP. And move it back to just like some rational thinking, some... Yeah working together to, to be sure. not just a part, the party of hate and anti-everything and Trump. I mean, do you think they learned their lesson? How do we get that, that to happen to where we do have the best of a two-party system? Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that if we had broader coalitions uh, with more outreach uh, and personal contact, uh, with old allies and new allies and, and like-minded friends, um, I think we, we could um, slow down uh, the short-term threats, uh, awaken others to the seriousness of voting and that it shouldn't be neglected or treated uh, cavalierly, um, and, and remind people that sometimes what seems temporary can be a long-term threat can stay with us for ages. I, I'm thinking like I was in uh, Mississippi with Stokely Carmichael in 64 and with King and Selma in 65. And I, I didn't imagine now uh, almost 50 years later or so uh, that we'd still have, you know, fears and, and and uh, racism and all the things that we, we struggle for in the 60s and 70s uh, still remain with us. So we just have to keep keeping on and, and uh, you know, find ways for, for people to find common ground and at least to agree that we could have a live and let live world so that you, you can have uh, your own privacy and you can have your own religious beliefs and practices, but you don't want to impose that on the neighbors. You don't have to try to impose that on the country. So if we could just have a little live and let live, we might be able to, to work our way to a kind of truce in the cultural war where we agreed at least not to be as mean and bullying and be more uh, tolerant and decent and, and civil uh, in our debates or policy struggles or, or our differences. If we could just have better table manners, uh, that would be good for family and raising kids and, and, and having a decent world. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, because it's true. It used to be like you could disagree, okay? You could have conversations. I mean, I know people who say, like, they have not been to a family gathering. I mean, and it used to be like to go to the family gathering, Maybe you would disagree, but after afterwards, you know, you'd be okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you get over yeah. it, but you maintain that like, you're still family, you're still friends, you're still members of the same community. And maybe along the way you would start to see things differently or just think about the other person's point of view. And I think that, you know, you still have many families even this year where they were being torn by what they call the big lie, that they still had family members who didn't want to talk to them, who who just hadn't, you know, it's like, okay, 2020 is done, 2022 is done, you know, can't we get over this and move forward? And being grateful that despite not yeah. only all the political turmoil with COVID and the deaths that we lost, you would think that that would be, 
momentum to sort of say. Well, that should, that should be that, our new New Year's resolution, and all those who are listening in should join us in that new uh, New Year's resolution of stating our, our values in the positive, not in the negative, and, and being careful uh, to find common ground first, rather than to look for the for the fight and and, uh, and miss the possibility that common ground could be a starting point for people to calm down and it would be a little more respectful to each other. I'm thinking of things like the programs of the Anti-Defamation League that have done a lot of educational work, not just on anti-Semitism, but I was pleased to see they included all hate and violence and they reached out to all the other issues, all the other targeted groups and policies that the far right has you know been continuously opening up new fronts so they they have what i call the old scapegoats minorities gays women immigrants and and, and a so-called secular society and and a new set of scapegoats that they've concocted with being anti-vaccination anti-healthcare anti-science attacking the schools and the libraries and going to the point in in the recent months of not just doing these cheap bills uh, of diversion that are anti-trans um, showboating on that, but now picketing uh, drag shows with armed militia. Uh, mm. that, I'm thinking to myself, ye gods, I thought that that if drag had made it to, to Royal Oak, uh, that... <laughs> It, it seemed pretty harmless and, and re- relatively popular, uh, but now I see that they'll grab any issue they can, and they can even invent new scapegoats as well as beating up on the old reliable scapegoats, class and race and minority groups and minority religions and people who are different. Uh, we just don't have any appreciation that we're all in this together. The, our life cycles are ultimately similar, and and our life experiences and our human needs are in common for the most part. And if we could only get to the human race, to the level of that sense of family, that we're, that we're cousins and that, that we will have our differences occasionally, but we, we've got to live together like families try to live with each other, even if somebody in the family is a crazy uncle. You know, like you, you uh, talked about being, you know, involved back in the 60s and the 60, you know, early 60s. You know, at that point in time, you know, did you, are you surprised that here we're still talking about racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, you know? Yeah, sure. And with all that things, you know, did you think that by this point we would be at that better world? I didn't think that that Trump would get away with as much as he got away with. I don't don't even now fully appreciate that he dug up a piece of American history that had always been laying there, and he found a way to wake it up. He came back to, to outright racism and pandering to the Klan and neo Nazis, and and not just extremists like that, but he he touched the underlying fears of of the poor. I mean, the, uh, I came from, you know, a Catholic background, so a Christian background, if you will. It's cons- we're supposed to love the poor. They're, they're God's children, and we, we should be caring for them. And when you put people... Uh, uh, fear of a poor neighborhood, fear of poor people, you you take and, and really do some harm to the heart of Christianity is to love the least of the brethren and care for the least of the brethren. So the whole question of the rich and poor is still with us in a dramatic way. And, and, and too many of these billionaires uh, have lined up exploiting the poor and exploiting the, the, the working class. So we're right back to Walter Ruther marching with nuns and priests and Martin Luther King in Selma, Alabama, uh, that, that, you know, somehow our economics is 
you know, sometimes very exploitive and harmful to working people. And race has been with us uh, and there are versions of it elsewhere in the world. But we've had problems uh, on many fronts, let alone emancipation of women, which is still not finished. It's still incomplete. I thought we'd be making more progress and, and it would be steady and it wouldn't be a zigzag. And, and, and I didn't think that, you know, kind of a bombastic guy like Trump could, could let loose so many people. I'm thinking a quick thought, uh, getting a couple hundred Arab men to, 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 to scream at one gay guy about books in the Dearborn Library reminded me that right at our doorstep, even though the government of Dearborn is relatively liberal Democrats, and they did take a stand, the fact that you can tap into people's bias, people's fear, people's sense that that they've got God on their side, that kind of the kind of what I call uh, the two extreme radical religions that are kind of ultra fundamentalist and believe in holy war, and that in today's holy war bleeds into the militia and, and armed struggle, which you know frankly is a cause of some of our our violence. Some of the, the you know kind of hatred leads to violence, and we've seen too many guns. I had a judge who's retired Wayne County judge, uh, an alumnus, and he, I raised questions about uh, ending the drug war and how, how that appeared in his court in Wayne County. And he said, he switched to guns. And he said, there's so much, uh, so many cases come before him about guns. So, gee, is there any way we could gently walk back our crazy wild west approach that every 16 year old deserves to have an automatic rifle. I mean, when you're 16, I don't want to arm every 16 year old to, to the teeth. We'll be in serious trouble, Michelle. <laughs> well, you know, too, and that to me is also because about that, you know, like with guns and that there's so many shootings a lot of them are young people. I mean, it used to be like, you know, you'd quit talking to somebody, you know. I mean, or I know you meet them in the parking lot, and then the next day you'd all be friends to where our society or people are seeing, like on social media, what they're seeing in politics, are leading these young people and others too, but primarily a lot of young people to feel that they need a gun, and that the way to resolve their issue with the world is to go and shoot people and kill them. I mean, that is just like startling. Yeah, that's the saddest part of it. Uh, when someone feels confronted or disrespected in today's world, they may have, they may be packing heat or they may have access quickly to, to a weapon a deadly weapon, and what might have been cussing or a fistfight 50, 75 years ago becomes a tragic shooting. And, and frequently there's somebody injured in a crossfire who's a total innocent, uh, and they just were in the wrong place at the wrong moment, and, and people shooting wildly. A lot of innocent children are shot or passerbys or so so much of these other big mass shootings is beyond me. It's a, a topic I said to the judge, I said, my God, let me, I, I'd like to talk about the racist drug war, but you've convinced me that the gunplay is more serious and, and, and increased. Let's do a panel in the spring with this judge who would carry a lot of credibility uh, just to, to see is there any way out from that dark, dark alley, you know? So the extremes are so uh, diverse. It's from extreme radical religion to extremes on gay rights or uh, the rich and poor divide or climate change or women's rights. When they had that Supreme Court case lobby hobby, that they give that owner of the lobby hobby the right to deny his women workers contraception coverage in their health plan. So they couldn't even 
purchase contraceptives. Um, and then it's certainly that uh, the whole GOP has become too extreme, so much so that even the funders, the, the business funders of Michigan Republicans held their money back this year. That hurt the Republicans. And there's a convention they're having in February. We'll have to see if they nominate the worst uh, extremists they have because they can control the convention or whether somehow we can get back to what I grew up with. They were called Eisenhower Republicans, or you'd remember Bill Milliken, the moderate Republican governor, who now history, you know, they just don't nominate people like that these days. Well, you know, then how do we, okay, now that we have a moment to breathe before everybody goes into I want to get reelected cycle, how do we have conversations to peel back the layers of extremism, hate, violence, and guns to find a common ground or a focal point for our communities to, you know, try and get back on path? Well, we have a couple positives in Detroit. There are several interfaith coalitions here, and there's many uh, interfaith social justice coalitions too. So those would be two starting points. Uh, All the churches should be trying to remember we have been forgiven for our sins. Forgiveness, not vengeance, not, not, uh, you know, a harsh retribution, but a loving God. So there could be some productive extensions of what has been going on for years in Detroit. You've been part of it most of your life. I've been engaged in similar things. And in fact, there's a national group called the Southern Poverty Law Center uh-huh. in Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama. And um, they are engaged in monitoring the extremist groups and the hate groups and educating people to be careful. They don't get sucked into something that is impulsive. And, it, and like the little, little flash mob of Arab men screaming uh, at some young gay guy because there's a book in the Dearborn library that they think is a threat to Dearborn or a threat to, I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I was a college professor. Uh, We could get students to read. We were very happy with that. (laughs) So uh, it's just uh, something that we could improve upon, I think, if we could find some common projects projects and programs and co-sponsor with uh, allies uh, and other organizational co-hosts. So groups like the Human Rights Campaign or Michigan Equality or Attorney General uh, Nessel's uh, group as well, and many, uh, probably many prosecutors and, and, and many people in law enforcement would join us because even the police are not happy that there's all these guns around because sometimes the police get shot. You know, I can remember going, you know, back in the day to conversations at the interfaith round table would have, and there you would have people from all these different denominations and they would support, you know, they would come together around common goals and they would support each other and if something happened at one church and they came up at this and they'd say, hey, well, we need this, and everybody would show up. And, I mean, I've seen similar things like in other cities around LGBT issues. I was in uh, Washington once, and a minister was saying that basically they needed to all come together, all these different denominations, and say, hey, you know, we are not for violence against LGBT people, we are for LGBT rights, we stand together, and also to say, you know, make it clear that LGBT people knew what what churches they were welcoming, that they were welcoming and affirming. How important do you think it would be to have that kind of standing shoulder to shoulder of different denominations now? I think that that is a good starting point because you and I know how to find those groups. We we know they're here in, in the metro area, and and we know in, on a good day, 
all the religions are, are trying to say, love your children, baptize them, marry and bury. Uh, they, they, have, they have good intentions. They want people to be kind to each other, to be kind and to be forgiving and to be accepting and to be loving. If we could say, we need to make a witness, a positive witness, so we don't just react in our own fears and anger at the far right, and we just mimic them. They irritate us, so we get upset, and, and we bark back at them. If we could find a way to be like Mother Waddles, or Ruth Ellis, or, or Martin Luther King, and state our values in the positive, uh, I think we could find a religious coalition might be just what we need because the religious right has been a big ally uh, of some of this um, judgment and, and guilt and, 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 and hatred and, and what do you want to call it? Crusading, jihadism, you could say. Um, so if, if we had a little more dialogue and a little more visibility, then the press would would stop chasing the most extreme statement and make that what television amounts to. If they, if they, I sometimes think the media is a guilty party because they're looking for the most sensational and extreme expression of anything and everything. And, and in other words, they bring us the bad news. They don't bring us any. Uh, they don't bring us enough of the good news. If we had a good news network, and, and well, you know, in the day of Mother Waddles, uh, is something I have fond memories of. That 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 would be a start, because we begin to reestablish what are reasonable norms, or what I call table manners. You want table manners for the kids and the grandkids, not to throw food on the rug or splash it on the wall. Uh, we, we, we need to just operate with a little respect and a little humility and a, a little kindness uh, and a little friendliness. Um, that go, fr- being friendly goes a long way. You could even start with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think that we can't stand Pat. I, I wrote an article in the 90s um, entitled Buchananism and the Politics of Hate and Fear. And it's ironic that something similar is happening today in one issue of Between the Lines. Um, there was a story uh, that finished off with this sentence. I just want to read it briefly. Um, sure. I'm so tired of the violence in a country obsessed with guns and awash in white supremacy. Violence is unleashed time and time again on marginalized communities, whether it's the LGBTQ people and allies at a nightclub, black shoppers at a supermarket in Buffalo, or Jews at a synagogue like Bethel, right there on Telegraph in our own town. So here you go, three incidents. uh, Indeed, all of these are ones that have violence associated with them. So uh, we are at a a kind of a critical point, and um, I think that that um, you know we have to just reach out to pro freedom anti hate and and the civil liberties community. The ACLU is a strong chapter in Michigan, and then form a broader alliance of progressives who have a common enemy: the far far right, far right that hates everything uh, we stand for, um, and uh, might triumph in the coming uh, century. So we have to find a popular front of progressive forces, economic and social, that can overpower fear-based theocracy or, uh, you know, theocratic fascists uh, wag the dog and they captured the GOP. I, I am a, a little bit optimistic that hopefully you and I will live to see the day, five, ten years from now, where the, the GOP will be taken back by the corporate conservatives. Um, I have a, a, a brother with an MBA, and he's a businessman, and he, he votes Republican most of the time. He doesn't like Trump, but he votes Republican from the old standpoint of the business community, less regulation, you know, less taxes. Well, I tell him every so often, I say, you know, just to be friendly here to my brother, I say, why don't we get Ford, GM, Dow, and Kellogg, or a couple other big 
corporate brands in Michigan, Chamber of Commerce, to take back the GOP from the extremists. And, and it would take them five or ten years to, to do that. But I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that, you know, we, we, we won't end up with a, a continuation of violence and, and people, like we spoke earlier today, people staying in, not, not learning how to meet new people and be friendly and, and get along with the neighbors and drive carefully and be respectful of the other drivers. All those normal things we count on so we don't have injury or, or trauma in our lives uh, to get back to some common sense and, and decency and tolerance uh, uh, is probably a positive sense of tolerance is probably another starting point to explain we're going to have to learn to live with everybody well, you and know. try to get try to get along uh, to use Rodney King the great philosopher from Los Angeles can't we all just get along we we haven't gotten along as well as you and I had hoped 30 mm-hmm. years ago or so right uh-huh. yeah, well you know I mean because we had talked about like what the faith-based community can do but you know like there is I mean either people have often have two tracks I mean there are people who their faith is real important and there's other people who might not be that faith-based but for everybody what's happening in their community in their workplace is important what kind of coalitions do you see between our organizations not just you know progressive organizations but things like you said you mentioned the chamber our, mm-hmm. our unions, where, you know, a lot of this stuff back in the day what came through out of our unions. What kind of coalitions can be built between progressive, um, nonprofit unions, and, and hey, and even some con- mildly conservative organizations? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I think, yeah, I think there's a very good chance we'd need ambassadors that you and I know here in the city, but a good example is Disney. Now, DeSantis attacked Disney uh, and, and tried to scare him off. But I think the corporate world, uh, the big Fortune 500 firms, and, and kind of more broadly, the mid-sized companies for sure as well, have a need for workers. So they're going to have a diverse workforce. And if people have to learn to be relaxed around each other, get more comfortable with each other. As soon as you get more relaxed and more comfortable with someone or some subject, it really eases things up a great deal. And that's what business needs. People have to work and help the customers make the business look good, uh, need payroll, all that good stuff. So I think we're, that might be, along with the churches, uh, which we can reach at the grassroots, but some ambassadors to the big corporations, so the big corporations know they're taking some hits from the far right, but that they are on the side of history, that this this planet is getting smaller. People are traveling across borders. Um, We are a nation of immigrants. We're all family. We've got to learn how to live on the planet without wars or shooting each other or hating each other. And I, I think the corporate economic world, even the capitalist world, is on our side on that score, and, and if they realize that their employees mostly back them and the public backs them when they're being good citizens, not when they're exploiting workers or, or tricking people, and that there's negatives to every system. But I'm, I'm optimistic about religion, the, the churches you and I know, and I'm optimistic about big business. And we need to help labor revive itself because I, you know Horace Sheffield and, and, and Nelson Jack Edwards and Mark Stepp, the old phrase in the union hall was brother and sister, brother and sister. So, and, and they, back in the thirties, um, they're the, the activists of the thirties the and forties had the slogan, black, white unity. So the, the unions have a good heritage. They, they've gotten weak over the last 25 years and they don't have the, the presence of, in the days that I remember Horace Sheffield being a, a dynamic leader in the community, you know, that um, the, the original, not the, not the current Horace, who was a fine man, but his, his dad, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic about, about yeah. Me, I know more of the daughter, yeah. 
You know, well, I wonder because often what these organizations can do, I know a lot of these big businesses, I mean, they, they fight to get that HRC equality 100 or to be recognized as being fair and equal with like a Michigan equality or to have ACLU. But then when the things like what Disney did was pretty brave, um, often that you still see that they'll say that they're for these things, you know, like they offer mm-hmm. trans benefits, but you don't hear, you don't see them in front of the Senate or the Congress saying, you know, letting people live their authentic lives, um, stopping racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism mm-hmm. is bad for business and we're not going to operate, you know, if a, if a city or a state has to do more than just offer us tax breaks. They have to stand for certain things that that are our core benefits and that they know they can statistically show that having a diverse and equal workforce is good for business. So what what can our, like things like ACLU, HRC, other organizations do to sort of say, hey, you know, we'll give you our endorsement, but we need you to do more than just put it in your work. Right. Yes. Well, in recent years, now, you know this better than I, so I'm only going to generalize, but um, there was a, a couple key corporate executives that were trying to help change the Elliott Larson law. And, and those corporate executives, because they came from big corporations in, in, in Michigan, they had some standing in the legislature. Conservative Republicans had to at least give them respect. Uh, and, and so we've, we can find uh, allies that will take uh, a leadership position, help build a coalition. Um, and, and the more and more that people experience working together and have contact, things shift mightily. I'll give one example. Uh, I have a brother who's a retired Detroit police officer. He had three sons. One of the sons died of a drug overdose, which is a tragedy, opioids. And and the other son uh, is gay, and I married uh, his his lover, uh, and our family came to the wedding, and and they were fine. And, And so... Sometimes when things are close and one parent loves the kid no matter what and embraces the kid because it's their child and, and, and people get a little closer to this mysterious thing called people who are different. And when you get in closer, then you can realize everybody's different. There's no two of us the same. And, and yet we can manage to get along if we're friendly and have a good attitude and the right intent. So probably steady exposure to, to diversity uh, in, in happy situations like a celebratory wedding. Um, and the whole family went completely along with it. There was no bump in the road there. Now, maybe that's a success story, but um, I'm optimistic in the, in the end because uh, I've had a, a long history at a little vegan cafe just south of Seven Mile on Woodward. Uh, you remember Dutch Girl Donut that's closed now? Uh, it, it's, I think it's two blocks south of Seven on Woodward. This is four blocks south. It's a little cafe. And in the cafe, in the summer, when the weather is nice, and uh, we have more people there, and they have a little drum circle, an outdoor fire, and I'm interacting socially on my free time with young and old, black and white, rich and poor. Uh, it's, it's because of its openness, uh, the neighborhood accepts the place, there are people from the hood who come and hang there. Uh, it's, it's like a cafe. Um, and and uh, my golly, you, big, you, you have to shift and you're in a small room with people of a different background than you. Everybody's honestly, most of the time, on their best behavior and are friendly, particularly if we are friendly. So I realized, 
holy mackerel. Uh, it's, it's that basic. If people just could have human contact with each other, they, they could learn to get along. I mean, imagine there are people in the military who could come back and have some good stories to, to, to share where they made friends and got along. Now, there are terrible things in the military that no one wants to experience. But, you know, I have enough, you know, appreciation of being able to get along with people when you're up close with them in the flesh. I don't mean just on Zoom. <laughs> you know what uh-huh. I mean? Well, you know, so, that, that into an important part because you and I were talking before about how people get together. I mean, because, I mean, I remember going to things where it was like, come on, and we would stuff envelopes. Or you would have an armful of flyers and you drop everybody off in different blocks and you put them on cars or, or check them up, you know, to talk about an event or engage people. You know, sometimes they would even, you'd even take the phone and call people. Where yeah. now we are really so much as like the email blast or the post on social media. And so that, there's something about when you're in a room of people and you're stuffing envelopes, you know, but you you talk to each other, you you laugh, you joke, you say where you're from, and we're getting away from that as we become, you know, more in this virtual world. I've heard good things from some organizations who say that using social media, they're able to contact people outside of their immediate areas. I've heard some say that, you know, they begin to get contributions and attendance at Zoom things from, like, across the state, across the country that they didn't were able to reach in the past. But we're also missing that community-building activity of, like, what you're saying at that cafe where you're, you're sitting there together. I mean, especially, and, it's, and it have started to happen before COVID, you know, to where yeah. now with a text message where, like I said, you know, the, the email blast of social media. How do we using seeing the good of that, but mm-hmm. what thing, build community? Well, I'll tell you what. Every so often, when I I'm at a, at a fundraiser or I'm with some uh, big wigs that are running campaigns and are in this whole uh, horse race, I, I say to them, if "We want to get the young voters out. We want to get more people out. Let's make politics more fun, and therefore, people opening their homes." Uh, those especially hospitable friends, and they're rare in our life, but we know a few, and I'm always wowed by them, uh, that we can do our own community uh, building, uh, not only with like-minded people, which is a good starting point, but our neighbors and even even a broader mix of with the aim of, uh, indirectly, not even explicit, to ease people's fears and misinformation and anger, so they're calm, uh, feel safe, and they're happy, and they're having a good time, a little fun. So I, I almost, uh, this is the 60s kid in me, I almost would like a little more of Bert's, uh, how, how wonderful it is down at Eastern Market to, to see everybody seated out in front of Bert's warehouse, enjoying a band that's on the street with them. And then you go into the club, and then one of the rooms has a little bandstand for jazz. And they, I mean, Bert, I would love to, to use Bert's and Eastern Market as an example of why don't we just find a nice, nice place? It doesn't have to be a club or a bar. There are many ways to do it. But having that, uh, what I call community building, be enjoyable. And, and, and meet all the interesting people of Detroit uh, and, and not fall for the stereotypes. Uh, uh, th- this group is all like one thing. No group is, is, is like one thing. All groups have everything. There's black Republicans, there's Jewish Republicans, right? <laughs> there's, there's diversity in every darn group, and it's a shame if you carry only one stereotype with you. That's so incomplete and inaccurate. And that's why I have an area of of talks on psychology and spirituality, uh, offering hope and optimism. And and that's why I evoke Mother Waddles and Ruth Ellis. Those people were holding that candle there uh, and made made a major difference in in others' lives as well as 
you know, their memories that you and I still carry with us. So I think well, psychology, I, psychi- fun psychology and spirituality is my is my solution. And I want to include fun along with spirituality, a little dancing, a, a, a little a little good times, even though we're, we're uh, getting old and, and we're not, not quite as limber as we used to be. Well, you know, I would have to throw into that mix um, someone who's currently doing it is um, Reverend Faith Fowler at CAF Community Social Services because I can recall, I mean, you know, when she was just working at the church and then she had this vision and looked over on the west side and they bought what used to be, it was an old hospital and turned it into a place for transitional housing. She had programs. She had a children's library. And since then, they went on and they've, I mean, they purchased buildings and rehabbed them. And after they learned what it took, she started to use people from the community for it. And they've done a village of tiny houses where people who have not had doing it and they have solar power. And then they have one part where they started out with something as simple as um, shredders and they developed a business and they used, uh, collected the used tires that were littering the neighborhood. And I think they made like flip flops and I think the other thing they did, they used seat belts to make something. But it was just like, that's about building community. And often the people who she has working on things, like you'll have people who will come from the suburbs or wherever, and they're down there working shoulder to shoulder with people who are or have been homeless. And they're overcoming things to to really build a sense of not only community, but a community that is empowered, that's not sitting back, you know, saying like, oh, Detroit is so And I mean, I have known Reverend Fowler for 20 years. And I mean, you know, and although I had met Ruth Ellis, I didn't actually, I didn't know Mother Water other than I knew that they used to sell cars, you know, but I know that she had a whole lot. Yeah. But when you see what someone who is committed to community and put your mind into it and to bring people from all walks of life together, I mean, yeah. That's just, like, amazing what can happen. And I would even throw Grace Boggs into there, who's, even oh, though sure. she's gone for a few years, what she and her husband did yeah. on the east side has impacted and really they, they planted their seeds here. But I know people who are all over the country who can point back to the Boggs and the Boggs. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> no, I Grace and, and, and Jimmy and... and of that group and Rick, Rich Feldman, and I, I've mm-hmm. admired them and been close in my youth a bit more so than this era. And I, I remember Grace, when she was 99 one time at Wayne or somewhere, was saying, I'm, I'm glad, I'm so glad I still have my marbles. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, so she kept her spirits to, to the end. And, and uh, uh, absolutely, we've got a lot to be proud of in Detroit uh, and our, I wish our media w- would would help us uh, be more empathetic to each other we, we need more empathy in our news we just don't need a tragedy and a mother with tears in her eyes we need a, a, some kind of additional love and, and embracing with empathy uh, the circumstances of, of everyone uh, and, and not and not feel that we're living in an isolated separateness from our, our fellow humans. Uh, and having that sense of human family uh, and, and a spiritual psychology, um, and, and spirituality can be, you know, individual. It allows even, even uh, I've given talks on thankfulness, just thankfulness and the attitude of gratitude. And I know I can present that uh, to secular people who are not religiously affiliated and it will register with religious and religiously affiliated people as well. So the common humanity, if we got the right language, can unite people uh, from across many faith traditions. And there's room uh, for people who are, are uh, having to find their own 
belief system and construct their own uh, personal spirituality. And we've had an era of, of, of you know, of, from our day uh, as young people to this present day, uh, where there's room for people to to develop and grow in their spirituality. And heaven, everyone over fifty needs all the help they can get. <laughs> you know what I mean? We need we need to keep the right attitude and wake up every morning with thankfulness that we can get out of bed and and we're we're healthy enough to stand and walk and we we just don't count our blessings and see the silver lining enough we're we're caught up with misinformation and fear and and uh sometimes get upset and we're not perfect but uh, we should still emphasize uh positive thinking and cultivating our virtues and trying to eradicate our negative qualities and it, that includes fear fear is on the on the wrong side of the equation Hope and love are on the other side. So in our stew for social change, that's what I'm going to call it, our stew for social change, we've got our faith-based community, we've got spiritual thinkers, we've got progressives, we've got labor, we've got some corporate people. Do we need to throw some media people into that stew? I think so. I, I really do. Uh, and, you know, I did a, a talk the, the media as a new church, uh, and it was about the need to reform the media. So how do we fix that, and where does change begin there? That, that's a, a very big piece. If we put more friends, um, I, I met a lady, um, uh, Q, she goes by the name Q. Uh, she was on TV, but she's retired. She had a, a little medical problem, and she used medical cannabis, and so if we found, and I did something with Chuck Stokes on TV recently, um, yeah, if we could do something with media, that would be an additional building block. We, we should always include that on our list because people are living by their television set or their phone, you know, but they're living by media. It's almost as if media is kind of a godlike figure. The phone, the phone is... You know, I almost uh, a lot of people walk in the streets these days, and I don't, I don't, I don't think they should. But uh, somebody was walking in the street, and they weren't even looking at the, the traffic or the cars; they were just staring at their phone. So well, you'll see them around a group of people around the table, and they're all not talking to each other; they're all looking they're looking at their, at their phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God! No, we need we 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 are special creatures, and we need each other, and, and we have more in common than 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 not, and and we can have fun together to boot. And it, it's and, and and wouldn't it be nice if we had if we could had more intergenerational camaraderie, so we could be included as the elders, but we could try to give good example while being, you know comfortable with multi-generations uh, behind us. As I sometimes say, the kids and the grandkids, right? Uh, that's what makes a little cafe fascinating for me because teaching college, I was always working with people in the early 20s, late teens and 20s. And and I, I see two generations of, of, well, it's not as cut and dried as two generations, but um, I see uh, the Rastafarian elders with with their you know kind of Rastafarian bent, and then I see young African American uh, kids that are like you know, in the early twenties, and they're 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 just exploring. They're exploring, but they like the little coffee house, and and it's a good it's a good spot. It's a shelter. I once told the owner of the darn little cafe. I said he was frustrated one day, like any small business owner could get frustrated. Uh, I said, you're not really running a cafe here. You're running a refugee camp. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and I tell some of the young people that are travelers and kind of trying to discover themselves and discover the world, I, I tell them, hang out here. This is a better place to come and hang out. It's not a bar. Uh, and, it, you know, you, you, you're better off stewing for a while here in the cafe where you're safe and so it becomes almost a little community center. If wouldn't it be nice if we had a little drop-in center on in every neighborhood where people could come and play checkers or cards or 
do something. Uh, when they need to get out of the house or they need, they're lonely and they need a little company. Well, you know, I like the intergenerational ideal because that's one of the things that some of the ideals, and I, and I, and I, I know I, one of the things that I liked about Grace Boggs was that, like, we worked together on this program. We had young people around. She always was absorbing some things from long, um, young people. And, like, I can recall one time sitting and we were doing something and we were doing it on the computer, and she talked about how she had recalled back in their day how they had to use, like, a, I want to say a mimeograph machine and, and crank this stuff out and then do it and hear how, she was able to reach more people and then learning about it. So some of our solutions, but our ideals will be put forth in solutions that are coming from young people. And yeah. it's good to have them, our elders, be able to share the ideals, the history behind it. But know that, I mean, some of the advances and some of the changes, young people to me are really leading the vanguard on the environment. Yes, yes. You know, although you yes. see many of them are gardening, are learning about it from their elders. Amen. And and I, you know, I'm I'm in that place, and and uh, <laughs> it's just a, a treat for me to to, to have that intergenerational connection. Uh, I didn't have children, and and so it, I did enjoy my college teaching, but uh, you know, I, I want to. I, I feel like um, human connection is a starting point for us and maybe think just to, as you move through your winter um, over the next two months say um, and when I'd like to meet the minister you spoke of because I go to the old Miami bar on Cass there and I think she's with that Cass church isn't she yes she Yes, so it's right across from the old Miami, which has a lovely backyard. We could, with her, if she was comfortable, if she liked the old Miami, you have to ask her that. She knows where it is, what it is. But, but I mean, they have a backyard garden, a big backyard garden with an outside deck. We could do something at her church or in that garden, in the court, Cass Corridor, or elsewhere. Or, old Crittenden Hospital used to be over near, I want to say Glendale. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. where tiny homes are, and that's that's part of uh, they're out from there. Like they've got one part that's happening at the church, but the bigger part is at over uh, in that area. Yeah, so um, we definitely okay. will do that. Yeah. Well, well, well I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to go west for for two months. January and part of February, but I'm back from my birthday in March, uh, and and uh, we're going to have spring. <laughs> we should plan. Just keep your eye out for the right set of people and and organizations that could host a social gathering, so we could uh, invite more potential allies to something that's easy and fun, uh, whether it's food or a little music, and, and it can, we could start soft and friendly and uh, let people network and meet, meet new people from different backgrounds and maybe strengthen our, our connects when we, we have our next struggle, our next, our, next, uh, our next challenge, you might say, a next fire drill. Well, Mike, I want to wish you safe travels. Yeah, uh, thank you. I look forward to talking to you when you get back. Yeah, um, and when I get back, I want to invite you to that cafe uh, uh, on Woodward there across from the old Palmer Park Golf Course. I'll invite you over to something when the weather's nice and it's outdoors and just for you to discover another happy little corner of Detroit. Well, I look forward to it. Mike, I want to thank you for your views, your thoughts, your continued commitment to building community and lifting up hate, not hate, but love to yes. community and knocking down extremism and misinformation. Mike, have a safe trip, and I will thank talk you. to you in a couple of months. Yes, I love Trump's hate. Just remember that. That's right. That's right. All the time.
God bless you and have a beautiful new year. The treat may, making a new friend. Okay. Well, I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank my guest, Mike Whitty. If you want to be involved in his community building efforts, reach out to him on Facebook. Let's not wait until 2024. Start the conversation with your friends, family, and in your community to end the politics of fear and division now. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.